Well, good morning, church. Uh, if we have not officially met, my name is Kyle. Uh, I get the privilege of being our lead pastor here, so uh, a lot of my responsibility deals a lot with what we're about to do this morning with preaching God's word, um, and it's really an honor. I was standing in the back just a minute ago thinking about uh, the fact that I get to do this for a job um, and that I get to come in here with you guys this morning and worship alongside you guys is, is a blessing. Um, so I don't want to take that for granted. I don't want to take for granted what we're about to be able to do this morning, approaching God's word together uh, in an open setting um, and without the fear of having to worry about what we saw um, on Easter Sunday last week with our brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka. Um, so I wanted to take that moment just to thank the Lord uh, in front of you guys for uh, the joy that it is to pastor you guys. If you guys have your Bibles, be finding your way to the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3. We're going to be in uh, verses 10 through the beginning of chapter 4. So 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 4, 2. So uh, last week was Easter Sunday. Um, collectively, I'm sure in most of the evangelical churches uh, around America today, there's a sense of, okay, Easter is here, now what? Um, there's always this big buildup to Easter Sunday, and now, now what do we do as the church? Uh, for us at the branch, the answer is, well, we continue doing the same thing, hopefully, that uh, we've been doing every single other week, and that's preach the gospel and be encouraged by Christ in the gospel. Um, but for the church collectively, after the resurrection, there was one thing, one mandate, one important thing that the church has been uh, trying to do for the past 2,000 years, and that's to make disciples. So if you guys uh, will look on the screen up here with me, we'll actually have the verses uh, on the screen for you in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. If you've been in church or if you went to Awanas, you probably memorized this and got a little ribbon for your sash. I know Tyler Joyner did. Um, but it says, Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is Christ speaking to his disciples after Christ was crucified, dead, resurrected. This is the last thing he, live, he leaves with his disciples and leaves with us. So do you think that it's pretty important if a man uh, that was fully man and fully God and truly man and truly God died and resurrected and came back, that his last thing he says before he ascends is pretty important? Do we think that's pretty important? Very We've probably heard this taught probably in 15, 20 different ways in the church. But I think I speak for the majority of us in this room uh, that if we were to take a poll and ask how many of us have actually made disciples, many of us would be uh, either sheepish or embarrassed or not very confident to say that we have done this or done this well. I know I stand before you the first among you guys to say that for a large majority of my life, I felt ill-equipped in order to make disciples, and I didn't know how to do it or even what it meant. I knew it was important. I knew I'd seen it on coffee mugs and pillows, and I'd heard sermons over and over and over and over about it, but I didn't know what to do. Because you see, so often discipleship in the church has become a class. How many of you guys ever sat through a discipleship class? Show of hands. I did for, for myself as well. There's no, no, two hands there. I love that. Um, that means he sat through twice and got 
uh, two A's on it, I love it. Um, but there's no, it's not knocking that. Discipleship absolutely is something that we are taught, but here at the branch we say that there's two ways that we make disciples. First, through lesson taught, but second, through given opportunity. So if you're taking notes on that, we'll take, we make disciples through lesson taught, but also through given opportunity. Um, so we say that discipleship is not just solely a class, but it's all of your life. It's what the disciples were doing here with the rest of their life. They were pouring it out for the sake of the gospel. So at the branch, we, we say this. Uh, I don't know where Madeline got this from, but she said it in a staff meeting once for us. She said that we don't make converts, we make disciples. So uh, understanding what that means, we don't just bring someone to Christ and that they understand the gospel but, and just leave them there but we continue with them throughout the course of their life. That is the aim of the church. So if you're taking notes, we're gonna give you a definition of a disciple. I think it's important that we understand this and we're all on the same page before we dive into this conversation this morning. Uh, you'll see here on the screen, a disciple for us is someone who is increasingly knowing, believing, and obeying Jesus in all areas of their life and teaches others to do the same. So you see that this is a process. You never arrive at just being uh, fully there. There's not someone who's just a Christian who's a convert and not a disciple. Christian and disciple are synonymous. The moment you became a Christian, a follower of Jesus, you became a disciple, and you will spend the rest of your life growing and further knowing and believing and obeying what that means and then teaching others to do that. So this morning, we're gonna look at those verses in 2 Timothy, and we're gonna ask a one question of the text this morning. How does a disciple make a disciple. So if you are a disciple of Christ, if you have truly been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, to God's glory alone, in Christ and his atoning work on the cross, you are a disciple and you are called to make a disciple. But let's talk about the practicals of how we actually do that. So I think there's gonna be three things that we're gonna see in our text this morning. First, uh, how we make this disciple is we disciple through intentionally modeling Christ that our life is to be held up as a model for people to emulate. The second thing that we see of how we make a disciple is that we intentionally teach Christ, that we use our life and these relationships with people around us to teach them the only thing that they need is Christ. And finally, we'll disciple through intentionally charging Christ. What we mean by charging is sending out but not just having someone always with us, but as Christ sent out the disciples, we send people out as well. So let's pick up and read the text this morning to see if all of that is actually true, that is actually biblical, that is how we are called to make disciples. So pick up with me here in verse 10. This is Paul talking to Timothy. He says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch in Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, 
knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is true. It is our life source. It is our daily bread. It is our joy that we get to come in here and be molded by your word. God, it is my prayer that this morning is all about you, that you would strengthen and embolden me to preach nothing besides your word. God, as we seek to obey your call to make disciples, God, would you show us how to do that so that way we would leave from here encouraged and equipped, exhorted and rebuked, corrected and trained in all righteousness, that your name would be glorified in Milledgeville, in our families' lives, in our children, in our jobs at Georgia College, wherever you send us, Father, that we would make disciples who make disciples. So, Father, we're dependent on you this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as we're looking at this text this morning, we see that Paul is uh, really mentoring Timothy. He is, he is what he calls his spiritual father, that as Paul was on these missionary journeys, that he picked up and found Timothy on one of these journeys and just brought him under his wing and said, just follow me as I follow Christ. That we get to see that this letter is an encouragement to a young man in the faith. You could say that this letter was written exactly for the purpose of discipleship, to encourage a young man to do what Paul has done. Now, I think it's important that we realize here, too, that Timothy uh, was not fully Jewish. His, his dad was a, uh, what we call a Gentile, who's probably a Roman citizen, but his mom was a Gentile. So he grew up with a little bit of understanding of what these sacred texts or the scripture of the Old Testament would have been probably very similar for most of us in this room that we are pretty familiar with scripture, that we've grown up in and around the church and we've heard that uh, great commission over and over and over again. And that's a great foundation for us to start on. But if we think that is the pinnacle, inevitably we will fall short in making disciples as we inevitably already have. And into that, that's what we get to see that Paul is charging Timothy to do this work of discipling. So the first thing that we get to see as we're trying to answer this question of how does a disciple make a disciple, the first thing that we see is that we disciple through intentionally modeling. Intentionally modeling. That's why in verse 10, back there in chapter three, when uh, Paul is going through this list of things of, uh, of what Timothy has seen in Paul, his conduct, his aim in his life, his faith, his patience, his love, his steadfastness through persecution. Paul is saying, look at my life. 
model it. We got to see this all throughout our study in the book of Philippians as those two men, Paul and Timothy, planted this church together that Paul was always calling believers to model his life. If we are seeking to make disciples in this room, the first thing I want to encourage you with is that your life must reflect Christ. If your life is not a living testimony to the goodness of Christ, you will never make a disciple worth making. Because all of us in this room, the truth is, from the outset, let's get this out of our mind that we have never made a disciple. We have all in this room made a disciple. The question is, are we making good ones? Is our life worth replicating for the sake of the gospel? Is our aim, is our conduct reflecting of Christ? We are called followers of Christ as disciples. Are we following Christ, model and aim as he loved the world in his children and poured out his blood? Are we willing to do the same? So with this modeling, we get to see this all throughout scripture. Paul is encouraging the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 4.16. He says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. Paul is saying so confidently that he trusts that it's not about how good Paul is. He knows he will fall short, but as he is continually going after Christ, he is bold enough to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Are you bold enough to tell someone that they can follow you as you follow Christ? Are you so content in knowing that God is sovereign and that it is not about you and making disciples, but it is about Christ making us all more like him, that you can tell someone, follow me. Paul says this to the church in Philippians, in Philippians 4, 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, sounds familiar, doesn't it? Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Bodhi Bauckham is a pastor that I greatly respect. Um, he is, we just call it, he's a stud. He's, a, he's awesome. If you guys don't know who he is, look him up later and uh, you're welcome. Um, he says this when it comes to making disciples. Do not seek to be discipled by someone who doesn't love the church. For you cannot love the groom, but hate his bride. The primary means by which the groom disciples the primary means. So we are the bride of Christ. If we as the local church, the church people who are knit together in unity, in fellowship in this room, Vodi is saying according to scripture that we collectively disciple. It has only been in the past century that we have looked at discipleship as a isolary, uh, on our own means of one-on-one -on -one intentionality, there's nothing wrong with that. Praise God for that, that we take intentional time. But all of church history, the plan for discipleship has always been together. That's why we all have different spiritual gifts. That's why God has encouraged some of us with teaching, some of us with encouragement, some of us with discernment, that in this room you have a role to play in discipleship all together. And as we spend time in our life together daily, we are discipled, we are sharpened as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, that this is not a process we just do by ourselves, but praise God we don't do it by ourselves because how often do we fall short? 
all of the time. I fall short all of the time. I thank God for men like Tyler and Bailey and Alex and Kyle and my entire leadership team and the laymen of the church that surround me when I fall short because in my discipleship of you guys as your pastor, I will fall short. I have fallen short. Discipleship is called together. But unashamedly, I will stand here and say, as I fall short, imitate me in being honest where you fall short as well. Because in that, we give all glory to Christ because in that, Christ gets the most magnificent worship that arises from his body because he is using broken vessels like us to disciple, to go and to change the world for the sake of the gospel. We don't do this alone, we do this together. So I ask you the question, Christian, are you intentionally modeling Christ like Paul did for Timothy? It can be for maybe one person, yes, that you're intentionally trying to invest in, but I think the bigger question is, are you intentionally modeling this every second of your life to every person you come in contact with? Because that is the call, to live your life as a living sacrifice, not when you have a two-hour sit-down conversation with someone, but every moment of every day as we give an account for every idle word that comes from our mouth. This is discipleship every single day. We do this all the time. Whether we realize it or not, we do this. That's why when we get around little kids, we realize that we're a role model, don't we? We guard our words. The way we act is completely different. Maybe the way that we carry ourselves, how we talk to our friends. Because when we get around someone we know that is so impressionable, that's soaking up everything we say or do, we know that we're a role model. The truth is, everybody you come in contact with is soaking up a little bit more of you and your, your love for Christ. So as you would be a role model for that child, be a role model for anyone and everyone that comes in contact with you for the glory of Christ. Do we model the love of Christ as Christ died the death that we deserved and poured out his life for us on the cross? How often do we die to ourselves in this fellowship, in this unity? As Christ first served us by wrapping himself in human flesh and coming and living the life that we never could, do we serve in that same manner, although that Christ was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God, something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and took on the form of servant and came in the likeness of men? Do we model ourselves after Christ? If we're seeking to make disciples, that is the first thing we do. We live that life modeled after Christ. Because you see that we are free from feeling like we have to have it all together because Christ already died for that sin that we are so easily entangled by every single day. He's already died for it. We talked about this last week that we were dead in sin, but now we are dead to that sin. You're free you're free to realize that you will fall short. Is that not a freeing thought to you? If you're sitting back saying, I don't know if I can disciple, I don't know if I'm ready, it's free to know that you will make a mistake. That's why we do this together, to pick each other up in this process. Because you see, we don't only just model our life for discipleship with intentional means, but we intentionally 
teach. We intentionally teach Christ. So I pick back up in verse 14 with me when Paul says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. So he's been taught something. If he has learned something, Paul and others have intentionally taught him something. And you've learned it. And from how childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, like we said, that's the Old Testament writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. Just side note here, this is sacred writing of the Old Testament making you wise for salvation. Do we not see the sufficiency of the Old Testament even there that all of scripture is about Christ and his redeeming work and the foreshadowing into the New Testament there? Don't let anyone tell you that as we get to see the tail end of these verses that all of scripture is not profitable. Absolutely is, because it is. In verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof and correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You see, there was an intentional teaching that Paul gave to Timothy. It's not just talking about God. It is the heartbeat of the gospel. If the gospel, according to Romans 1.16, is the power unto salvation, and that's why Paul is not ashamed, we can't have a junk drawer, if you will. This is what Matt Chandler calls it, a pastor that I greatly respect in a book called Explicit Gospel. We, as the evangelical church, have been okay with having the gospel be so watered down that anytime we're talking about God, it's as if though we're talking about the gospel. That is simply not true. All of scripture is profitable for correction and teaching like we just saw, but Paul was not passive in his teaching to Timothy. He taught him the thing that would save his soul, and that is Christ and Christ crucified alone. So for you in this room, if you have indeed heard that good news of the gospel, that it was Christ crucified in your place, bearing the wrath of God for your sin, and because of that, you can live in eternity with him. As he ascended, you will ascend and sit at the right hand of the Father, and that in all all of his inheritance that he shares with us, although we don't deserve it, that he freely gives to us and one day will free us from these bonds and chains of sin and death. That is the gospel, Christ in your place. If you have not heard that, you have not heard the gospel. Nothing else is sufficient to save your soul besides that news. If you are making disciples and you are not telling them that, you are not teaching them the gospel. You are not making a disciple. If the first disciples were the ones that follow Christ and listen to his teaching, go back and look at the teachings of Christ and what he taught to them. They were to pass on to faithful men. And somehow we have gotten so okay with watering down this message that it has become as if though unpalatable in the mouth of those that are truly redeemed. If you are hearing the gospel and you're growing in the gospel, the second you hear something else that is not the gospel, it is repulsive to you because it puts you in the place of God and robs your father of all the glory he's due because you knew how wicked and sinful you were and you knew the extents that he went to save your soul. Teaching the gospel is so, so vital in making a disciple. That's why Jesus himself in John 8, 31 through 32 says this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
as Jesus was talking to his disciples, the ones that had believed that he was who he said he was. The very word of God is what you need to A, be a disciple, but B, to disciple. If you are sitting down having intentional conversations, I'm asking you, are you going through the gospel? If you're uh, walking around and we do teaching in every single day life, whether you realize that or not, what I am currently doing is preaching the word. But all of us are commanded to go therefore make disciples, teaching them to obey. Teaching happens in every single day life. As scripture comes up here and there and as you guys delve into those topics, as you disciple, you are teaching. As someone asks you a question about baptism, you're teaching. As someone's asking you a question about what it means to be a Christ follower, you're teaching. And if you're not teaching them the gospel, if you're teaching them anything else, all you do is making a more studied, damned person. The gospel is our only hope, and that's why we only teach the gospel. It's what we just said, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. All of scripture is profitable, but we've got to have a closed hand when we're talking about the gospel of Christ. It's his birth, it's his life, it's his death, it's his resurrection, it's his ascension, it's his power at the right hand of God, it's his presence with us today through his Holy Spirit, and it's his imminent return. I would tell you those eight things, if that's all you're teaching to make a disciple, praise God. Everything else is cursory. Start there. That's why Paul Washer would say it this way when it talks about discipleship. Another pastor I greatly respect, and I'll, I'll read this through kind of slowly for you, and if you guys want this quote later, I'd be, be glad to send it to you. I know it may be hard to read here. He says, this is the reason for all the noise about personal one-on-one -on -one discipleship. Back in the late 70s and early 80s, there was this just birth of personal discipleship. And if you talk to many people about the reason for personal discipleship, they would say this, there's just as many people walking out the back door of our church as walking in the front door of our church. They're coming in, they're not staying. And the reason is they're not being discipled personally. To which Paul Washer says, well, first of all, I believe that personal discipleship can be of great benefit. But here's something that I want you to know. The history of the church knows very little about that sort of thing. Most men were discipled through the preaching of the word of God. So maybe we need all this discipleship because the pulpit is so weak. Is that not the biggest accountability you guys can hold me to? If I am not preaching Christ and Christ crucified to you, I am not discipling you, and I am not fit to hold this office. And I pray that you would remove me. If your only hope 
to go into this world and actually change this world and to make disciples is for me to teach you the gospel and you go into your missional community and you guys discuss the gospel and practice scenarios where you can share the gospel with your lost friends. And you go into a DNA and you read scripture together and you pray and you hold each other accountable to going. That is what it's all about. It's built on the sufficiency of Christ and Christ alone and his scripture because it is God breathed that Christ in John 1.1 existed as the word before he became flesh and the word put on flesh and came in human likeness. So when we preach this word, there is inherent power that goes out because it is not me, it is the savior of the universe that we saw last week that breathed life into dead bones, into a dead man, that is the life that is being breathed into us. Why do you think the enemy's main attack against you is to divide you from his word, from the Lord's word? Because without it, you have no hope in making a disciple and going and carrying out this great commission. God knew that. That's why he says there's hope in that great commission but take heart, he is with us always, even to the end of the age, that he has sent us the spirit to woo us back into that relationship with him, to woo us back into spending time with our father, not as a means of just checking a Christian box and saying, I read my Bible today, but as the very means by which he is breathing life back into your soul. Don't neglect that personal spiritual discipline, not because that's what you're supposed to do, because that's your only way of carrying out the Great Commission. That is what we're called to do. So Christian, let me encourage you. You have been taught like Timothy. I feel like I can boldly tell you enough as your pastor, if you have came and sat in this room and heard any of the three men that put on this microphone, they have preached the gospel to you. We have personally picked our curriculum for our missional communities to be gospel-centered. In your DNA groups, as you go through scripture, your missional community leaders are asking you those questions, what you're reading, because we're making sure that your life is saturated with the gospel. So if you don't feel like you can make disciples because you didn't know if your life can be modeled like we talked about earlier, we said there's peace, you're gonna make a mistake, you're gonna fall short. So maybe that's not your qualm, maybe your qualm is here. I don't know what to teach, I don't know where to start. What I would encourage you with is yes, you do. If you indeed can answer that question, what is the gospel? That is Christ in your place. You know exactly what to teach and you're gonna be doing this out the course of your entirety of your life. Teach them the same thing that Christ taught the disciples, that he is the Christ, the one coming to take away the sins of his children. Because sometimes we feel like in this teaching that we need this teaching over and over again. Yes, we come in here on Sunday mornings to be encouraged with the word, but sometimes we feel like we're not ready. And I need, to, I need to just hear it one more time, or maybe I need to read one more book or listen to one more podcast before I actually take that leap and ask someone that question. Uh, I don't know if I'm actually really ready. It's as if though we were in college and we made an A in the class or maybe even a B or maybe even a C, and then we said, no, that's not good enough. I need to retake that class again. I don't feel as confident in that. None of us in this room would ever do that 
ever. We make a C, C's get degrees, sometimes D's get degrees. None of us would ever say that, save for when it comes to discipleship. We feel we're not ready. We don't know where to start. We don't know what to do. I'm telling you, you have a group in this leadership pipeline and pastors and two elder candidates that would love nothing better than to say, here's how I started. Here's how you can start. Let us help you. Let the church, my job, Ephesians 4.12, is to equip the saints. Nothing would make me more joyful than you to come to me and for me to help you do this. This is what we're called to do. Again, we don't have to take that class over and over and over again. Christ was perfect. He was sufficient for us. He's the one that made that hundred on that life test and that he is imputed, given to us. So we don't have to be perfect in this teaching. Yes, should it be Christ-centered? Absolutely. But you're going to make mistakes. They're going to ask you questions you don't know answers to. I can't tell you how many people in this room have texted me and said, I I met with so-and-so this week. Can you answer this question for me? and how I will stop everything that I'm doing or anyone in our leadership pipeline would and say, let me help. Because this building is not the end all be all. I don't care if this building burns down, we're gonna gather in the parking lot and worship because we are the church. What happens outside of these four walls is the only thing that matters as we go and make disciples every single day. If you are trying to make a disciple by coming and sitting in a chair, I'm telling you, you're here to be comfortable. And it's my job as a mama bird to push you out of the nest. (laughs) Because I love you. And I mean that. Sometimes love can be tough. Because it's what's true. So we see that pushing out of the nest is the last thing we see how to make disciples. So we see an intentional charging, intentional sending out. That's why in verse one of chapter four, Paul goes on to say, I charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living and the dead. And by his appearing in his kingdom, here's that charge. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. See, this is a intentional charge of Paul. This charge is a solemn charge because he's appealing to the highest authority that he knows, and that's Christ, who will judge the living and the dead. This charge is a specific charge as well. As we were discipled with the word, we disciple using the word. That's why in verse two, he says to preach the word. We've already talked about this. As you disciple, you preach the word. This is a sending out That's why in the Great Commission, we see it again, that he was saying to teach them all that I have commanded you. Preach the word, preach the word, preach the word. If you don't know what to go through next, preach the word. If you don't know what to go through next, preach the word. If you don't know what to go through next, I think you get the point. This is what we're called to do as we send out because here's the thing. Sometimes discipleship becomes this, I I need that person to disciple me. I want that person to disciple me. And it becomes more about us feeling comfortable and not being obedient and being sent out. So if you are meeting with someone one-on-one, praise God. But if you are not asking them who they are meeting with, then I'm telling you you're being disobedient. Because just as Paul 
would love to have had Timothy with, on him, uh, with him on every missionary journey. He sent Timothy out. How Barnabas and Silas were with him and John Mark, he sent them out. How Jesus, uh, when he transfigured on the mountain and he revealed his glory, and how Peter, like, that would be so me, like Peter just starts grabbing sticks and trying to build houses for them and say, like, stay here. And Christ says, I must go. That is our call as Christians is to go, is to go, to go. So we must disciple in that same way. So how does a disciple make a disciple? We disciple through intentionally charging. Paul would go on to say later, um, actually a little bit earlier here in 2 Timothy 2.2, he says this, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This word is multiplication. If you are discipling someone, the intent is to eventually send them out so that way they can disciple someone else. That's why we don't care really how many people are sitting in these chairs on a Sunday morning. Really, praise God that you guys are here to worship, but if you guys were not here because you were with your lost friends, sharing your life with them, evangelizing, praise God. We don't wanna forsake the gathering of the local church, but this is not the end all be all. I'd much rather you be going and multiplying and making disciples. This is our mandate to go and make disciples. That's why in Matthew 10, 16, Jesus says this to his very disciples himself. He is charging them. He is sending them out. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. He is sending them out. We've talked about this in our Philippian study, so if you want to go back and listen about how we are being sent out, and there are wolves, there are those that would seek to harm the advancement of the gospel. We talked about that this, this morning. Uh, we're reading through a book in our elder candidate training. Um, there's a quote from John Calvin in there that says, if ministry is tough, if people are driving you crazy, if the person you're discipling is just wearing you out, praise God, because you're doing ministry as it should be. We are pouring our lives constantly out for the sake of the gospel. And we don't need necessarily someone to sit over us and to fill us back up. What we need is the word of God to fill us back up. If Christ was not looking for anyone else besides the Father to restore his soul as he went in the wilderness to pray, as he stole time away, how much more so do we? Fellowship is great, but what we need is Christ. Because you see, discipleship, like we talked about, it comes with a heavy price. That's why Charles Spurgeon has this quote. He says, you cannot be Christ's servant if you're not willing to follow him, cross and all. What do you crave? A crown? Then it must be a crown of thorns if you are to be like him. Do you want to be lifted up? So you shall but it will be upon a cross. The call of discipleship is to follow him and to bear your cross through persecution, through hard times, through good times. This is our call because in eternity, it's purchasing for us an eternal weight of glory that makes all of this 
vapor, nothing. Because you see that Christian, I, Paul, and Christ charge you to make disciples. It's like a battle cry in this charge. As Paul is sending Timothy out, he says, I charge you in the presence of God. It's as if though he is sending him out into a battle by which he know there will be casualties, by which he know there will be pain, that he knows there will be sorrow. As we're sent out, we know there's gonna be pain. There's going to be sorrow, but it's not a whimper as we're sent out. It's a cry of victory that Christ said it is finished on the cross. He's not saying it is finished, I have taken this, and it's a weak, feeble cry, but it's a shout of acclamation that from redemption, history, past to present to future, as we are charged to go out and make disciples, we will be successful because Christ is the one who is making disciples through us. It is about him and his glory. God is sovereign. If you go out and you fail in making a disciple, it is not as if though you should have done something different or better or tried harder. If you're going with the gospel, that is all you're called to go with, the results are up to Christ. If you make disciples, praise God, it was not because of how good you are. It's how good Christ is. Because we can be so weak and timid in this call to make disciples, that we sit back and never do it, and never do it, and never do it, right? Don't we all feel that in our bones? But isn't the church here today? Aren't we alive? Aren't we celebrating? You know why? Because it wasn't sinful, broken men that accomplished this great commission. It's Christ through his spirit in us that is accomplishing that work he's called us to, that he who began a good work is going to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So as an eternity past, as the Godhead triune, co-equal in power and majesty and glory, decided that this was going to be the redemptive history of mankind, that he was gonna send part of himself, identifying with us in our weakness, wrapping himself in human flesh, and that he would come lowly in a manger as a baby to live that life of perfection that all of us in this room are so desperately trying to live that we were never called to. And on Calvary, he poured out that perfection and that blood and covered his children in his righteousness, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he is sitting there making intercession for you even now as you feel weak and tired don't know if you can accomplish this he is not only praying for you but he has sent his spirit that lives inside you to remind you of all truth that we can make disciples that make disciples that make disciples, because that's how we're here 2,000 years later, and that our king will come again. And as we talked about the bride and the bridegroom at a wedding, the wedding bells will ring, and we, the bride, will be gathered together, all of those that were made to be disciples, 
and you will see sisters and brothers there, those that you have had the boldness to have those awkward conversations with, those that you've had the boldness to call out in their sin, those that you've had the boldness to encourage with the gospel as you discipled them in everyday life, and we'll be gathered together, as Peter says, as living stones built up into the household of God, and we will worship our Savior forevermore because of his great work. This is the gospel. So if you have never heard that news, Christ, when he first called his disciples, when they were out in boats, he said, come and follow me. And the spirit entered their heart, regenerated their heart and dropped, and they dropped their nets and followed. So if you have never heard this good news, if the spirit is saying, come follow me, he will soften your heart and allow you to drop those nets, those things that you think are so important besides him. And you will follow him. And we would love nothing better to then rejoice with you. As we continue into that worship, Bailey and Tyler and I would love to just talk to you about it. But if you are indeed a disciple already, if you are a Christ follower, as you leave these doors, you are discipling. As Christ called you to come and follow him, remember that how a disciple can make a disciple is through intentionality. Model your life, model your teaching, and ultimately, trust the Father. Father, thank you so much. Thank you that you came and you wrapped yourself in human flesh. That you first called us and we came running. So God, is that is your commission for us to go out and make disciples. As difficult as it seems to be, let us not buy into that lie. Are there times that it can be difficult? Yes. Is there times it can be painful? Yes. Are there times we feel ill-equipped? Yes. But then all we do is we remember that you are with us. That it takes one simple act of obedience to make that phone call to that person you've been asking us to reach out to to have that intentional conversation in class, to send that text message we've typed out a thousand times and deleted. God, I pray that this church would be a church that takes disciple-making seriously. That to your glory, we would intentionally meet in coffee shops and restaurants all across this county, but that we wouldn't do this alone that we would join in with the chorus the church has been singing for 2,000 years and to do this in the fellowship of other believers. God, it's our desire to see this community changed, to see souls come to know you, to see emboldened Christians go out, to see your gospel bring dead hearts to life and to encourage 
the ones with weak and feeble knees to stand and to join in that shout of victory. So God, we thank you for this good news. We thank you that 